Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit about and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track basis pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McQuarrie, and I'm here with my co-host Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. Are you ready to dive into this song? I'm not going to say the title of this song in that sentence, because that just sounds wrong. Then how do I know which song I'm ready to dive into until you tell me? Are you, are, you, are you ready to talk about Little Child? Yes, yes <laughs> I am. I am ready to talk about any Little Child you so wish to discuss. Lovely, good. So, um, I'm not sure you would get a song called Little Child anymore these days. but uh, Yeah, maybe. it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? And, and you know, lyrically, it's not exactly the... Um, um, the the most sophisticated either but then i mean we've we've spoken about that on on other beatles songs before haven't we the fact that um you know at this stage of the career it's very simple straightforward although again some songs have started to develop a little bit more um and to look at even the subject of love in in a different way this one is is very much a, a route one uh, kind of song it doesn't mean it's bad by the way i, I think it, it probably gets um, you know, ripped apart a little bit more than it actually deserves because I kind of quite like it. In a, I know it's not brilliant, but on the other hand, it's not completely rubbish. I think a lot of people would be happy to have this at some or a song like this somewhere in their their early catalogue. But lyrically, ah, there's lots of child and lots of baby, little child, baby, take a chance with me. Oh yeah, you know, there's so it's it's um. It, on the sophistication scale, it's somewhere down a three out of ten. However, for yeah, ent- it's, entertainment, it, yeah. it's it's it, it's a you know it's a foot stomper. <laughs> oh yeah, we're giggling slightly already um, because we've already, we've already concluded that there's a, a limited amount of material that you can get out of this song. But oh well, here we go anyway. Uh, yeah, no, I mean that's that's all that's all fine. I, I think we were talking off air the last time we were speaking, but I honestly didn't really remember this song prior to coming back to listening to it for the podcast whereas i was able to sing quite a quite a chunk of it yeah yeah no you knew it you you remembered it and in this this particular occasion i think you were you were probably the one that was in the right because it is quite an entertaining little song i I don't really have any great reason for it having fallen off my radar i i i think it's a perfectly pleasant slightly less than two minutes but it's not uh it's not a major work nobody's nobody's going to claim otherwise It, it it is an album filler track but you know, there are worse album filler tracks than this. There are worse album filler tracks than this album. So, you know, we should be we should be fairly grateful for, for the quality that we have here, I guess. And um, it, obviously it says a lot about me and uh, my, my musical knowledge, but um, I didn't realise, you know, despite the fact that I remembered the song, I didn't realise until then uh, we were talking about it the last time. It is actually a Lennon McCartney original. For some reason in my head, I had it as it was one of their... Um, one of their covers because it kind of sounds like it it could be one of those sort of early R&B type songs so in that case I think actually for them it does the job really really well doesn't it it sort of replicates the feel of the songs that they liked that 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 they listened to and that they learned from and then they were able to in a relatively short period of time sit down and churn out because you kind of get the feeling they did churn it out from you know reading around it churn out something yeah. that that replicates the thing that they like so much yeah i mean i think that's true i mean i mean 
musically speaking, it's a very, very simple song. There's only six chords in it, and you know, three of them are E, A, and E seventh. Um, but those and those sevenths are what gives it that kind of bluesy sort of um, feel to it, that slightly R and B kind of feel to it, and that is just straight replication of of you know hundreds of Chuck Berry songs, and you know that whole kind of like Jerry Lee Lewis and all that kind of stuff. They're all they're all based around what is basically a straightforward um chord progression EAB. I mean you couldn't really ask for for a more simple progression. So of course it absolutely does capture that. But it's got a kind of ragged feel to it. It's 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 played quite loosely and I think that helps to kind of reinforce that that feeling that it's something that they could have banged out a thousand times at the Star Club but didn't because it was written for this album. Um, but it's still got that kind of, yeah, you said foot stomper, but yeah, it's got that kind of stompy, stompy feel to it um, that, that you know, kind of drives along quite nice. It's, yeah, it's 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 very simple. It's, it's musically not complicated at all. The most complicated thing in it musically, I think, is probably... McCartney's bass line on the on the um, instrumental break, um, that sort of twelve bar blues thing, and then he suddenly goes into this kind of dum 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 kind of bass line. That's about as sophisticated as it gets. But it's another one of those occasions where I think McCartney's doing a good job of making something which isn't that easy appear really simple because because the rest of the song is so simple. This little kind of bass line riff underneath it. Okay, which is so anchoring the whole song gives it gives it just that little bit of added complexity. So it's not just as straightforward as it is, sort of thing. So, I mean, there is already then something that that marks it out from, say, the first album um, as well. Because um, am I am I right in thinking that it was was it "Love Me Do" that originally was sung by John, but he couldn't actually sing it on the record because. It couldn't get the break between the harmonica and and the vocals right. Was it "Love Me Do"? Yeah, yeah, "Love Me, Love Me." Wah, 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 yeah. Okay, so whereas on this, um, you've got McCartney playing bass, but also by all accounts, you've got him playing piano throughout as well. You've got harmonica being played by Lennon throughout, but also Lennon singing. So we're we're entering into that realm of hey some sophistication in the studio again in that sense of right okay we have four musicians but we're going to get them doing different things and include that on the recording so just that sense that they're expanding the sound a little bit and they're expanding on on the depth of the sound I think does make a little bit of a difference and does compensate for the wonderfully simplistic some might say pure our lyrics um, yeah, I mean, I would certainly go along with the um, the idea that there there is, you know, a bit of studio craft involved in this song, which does elevate it above its kind of very straightforward um, structure. I think one of the things that's sort of most interesting about this song is actually, if you listen to it, especially if you listen to it on, on headphones, there's a couple of moments in it where you can um, really tell where the limits of the recording studio lie, particularly the, the like the the uh, beginning of the song where everything is panned over to the left hand side on one channel and then the vocals come in on the right hand channel. It's just they've clearly run out of tracks and and that's the only way that they've been able to do it. And when it comes out of the instrumental or, or the the instru- instrumental solo, uh, there's a really hard edit. It's like like it's got it builds up a real kind of head of steam during the instrumental break um, with McCartney's bass line and Lennon's sort of really blowing his guts out on the, on the harmonica. And then it just 
cuts and it's really brutal and if you listen to it um you'll never you never can it's one of those oh you'll never hear it the same way again but you can't miss it it's it's just this really really tight cut um and either it's because something went wrong immediately after and that was the only clean edit they could get or it's again it's just they've run out of tracks it's the limits of the recording studio but there are there are a couple of moments in this song where you can really hear that they are doing something with the studio so you're yeah no i completely agree with that congratulations for being one of probably only 100 people in history to have listened to the song closely enough to then have an opinion about about where the other comes um so um yeah and you could probably rattle off the names of uh, a few of those because they would have written books yeah yeah probably yeah yeah i'm sure yeah does it does it help i mean it's a, it's a genuine question because i you know as i will have said before there's an awful lot of songs that i like that i don't really have a clue what the lyrics are because i'm not really listening intently for every single word i just kind of like the feel of it i'm not sort of listening to the the quality of the singing because again i like the the kind of like the the feel um of it and you know does does it help to be able to sort of pinpoint these these little moments does it change your overall view i think it's i don't know if help is the word i would use but i find it interesting yeah i, I particularly when i was um kind of getting into the beatles and i was starting to really develop it as more of a passing fancy that it was something I was really passionate about I wanted to kind of dig into a lot of the nuance and the detail um above and beyond the most um the most obvious stuff if you permit a small personal diversion um when I was at school um our music teacher whose name has long long escaped my memory had a sheet music a book of sheet music um with uh, like these kind of psychedelic uh, illustrations um, of Beatles songs. Um, and I, I mean, I, I, I can't read sheet music. I, I've never been able to. But I remember looking at the book and seeing these kind of illustrations for songs that I had never heard at the time. Like, I'm only sleeping. Um, it wasn't, uh, it was years later that I finally got Revolver and realised that I'm only sleeping is literally about that. And it wasn't a metaphor for something. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not dead on I'm only sleeping was kind of what was going through my teenage mind at the time. And then I listened to the song and that is not what it is about at all. Um, it really, it really kind of threw me off balance of that song. I love the song, but it just, it wasn't what I was expecting. And, um, and so when I, I was looking at these kind of illustrations and all the rest of it, it just, it always felt like such a lazy kind of invocation of like all the kind of typical sort of psychedelia around the Beatles and all the rest of it. So when I started getting into the band themselves, I kind of had a desire to strip all that away and just try and appreciate them for what they are. Not devoid of cultural context, but devoid of all the cliches of cultural context, all the, all you need is love nonsense and blah, 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 all the, all the stereotypical stuff. And so reading things like complete Beatles recording sessions um, and, and, and of course, Revolution in the Head as well, kind of does help to strip that back. And I, I find those kind of little intricate details of how it was recorded or where it was put together genuinely fascinating. Whether it helps me appreciate the song more, I don't know. But I think it does make me appreciate it in a, in a different way when you're aware of how staggeringly primitive the technology is or how much hard work has to go into putting a song like this together like you say there's only four of them and yet you've got the you've got two separate bass lines you've got 
two to three harm uh two to three harmonica lines two to three vocal lines you've got the drums you've got everything like you've only got four tracks how how can you do that and that's that the story of that i find absolutely fascinating and, and there is a risk that that someone could be listening to that and going, ooh, ooh, four tracks, ooh, yeah, they've got <laughs> six things going on, ooh. You know, you can very much take all of the the modern recording uh, apparatus for granted, can't you? You know, when a fairly average artist can uh, get their hands on a garage band and or Pro Tools and, and just do whatever they want um, with as many tracks as they want, um, quite often without actually having to touch an instrument itself. Um, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, I think it's important sometimes to take yourself back and, and just go, actually, do you know what? Look at what these people did with the equipment that they had. Um, you know, yeah. it is pretty impressive. No, I, I mean, I, I suppose I was wondering because, um, you know, some people like listening in for, for those mistakes, as it were, the, the bits that are, are left in. Um, and perhaps focus more on that than than on on anything else. And you know, I wouldn't want it to take too far away from just the general kind of you know up tempo um, you know riot really that that this song uh, is. And you know, this this would be great live, which of course is ironic because yeah. they didn't play it live. But it's another one of those songs, and again, it sort of elaborates on a theme from from previous episodes. Another one of those songs that was written in a hurry, rehearsed in a hurry, recorded in a hurry, and then they probably never really went near ever again. Um, it's just something that exists in in aspic on on um, on this album, and then in people's memories. It's a weird thing, really. Yeah. It, you know, it it doesn't live very long, um, but it does leave something behind. Um, albeit again, you know, not through the lyrics. Um, but I feel like I'm being mean on the lyrics, by the way. I mean, that actually, there is a bit of craft even in the lyrics, in you know, what you might sort of laughingly call the verse. Um, you know, there, there is, you can see what, we'll assume, we assume it's Lennon, um, as Lennon is the one that sings yeah. it. Is it fair to assume that? So in, in the yeah. first one, so, so then we'll have some fun when you're mine all mine and that line in the next that makes it Lennon there you go don't you run and hide just come on come on so there's the repetition within the line that actually kind of makes you look and go well I can see that someone would look at that and think well he's done the same thing in that verse in terms of that that internal repetition and then he's done it again in the second verse could just be coincidence but looking at it you think well all right yeah that works well, and those 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 come on, come ons as well. Like you were saying, you could imagine this live, but I, I I mean, really, you can. I mean, that would be like you can imagine that going over really well at the Hollywood yeah. Bowl or Shea Stadium or whatever. You know, yeah, it's got that come on, come on, yeah, and then you get it kind of slides down and it's got the energy and you can see the crowd, you know, kind of going wild. It's got the big yeah before the instrumental break and and all that stuff. It does have that kind of live energy, and yet, like you said, I'm sure they recorded this, put it away, never thought of it again. Um, but it does it does have that and and yeah the, the 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 it's not the come on come ons aren't really proper call and response but it's kind of fulfilling a similar function and and it, it works well I mean it really it juices the song it gives it some energy and if it's not sophisticated and it's not sophisticated I mean um, that's fine I mean it's 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 uh, 
it, it's fine for what it is. It, it works well. I mean, you when you were mentioning before about, um, you know, you wouldn't want sort of technical knowledge of the song to get in the way of your appreciation or your enjoyment of it. I don't, I don't personally find that it does. If anything, it enhances my enjoyment of it. But like those little bursts of energy like that on the commands, yeah. like they're just, they're captivating and, and, and sort of, um, you know, knowing how it was constructed doesn't doesn't take away from the the sort of drive or the energy of, of those moments, and and it those it's those little moments in this song that that do make it stand out a bit. Yeah, and and I'll add to that with the I, I think the harmony on the "I'm so sad and lonely" line, which you get um, maybe yeah. four or five times in the song, I think really works. You know, it's it's something a little bit different on their on their their harmonies. Um, and the fact that it's it's kind of targeted to one tiny section, I just think kind of um, really helps to make it stand out. Just like um, on the fade out as well with, you know, Baby Take a Chance with Me. And then I think it's McCartney singing the Oh Yeah, probably the only time you can really hear McCartney's voice on it. It's just so effective. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's got it's got that little extra that little extra thing, and like you said, it's at the fade at that point. I mean, that could have turned up at any point during the song, but it doesn't. But it's just it gives it that little that little extra push as you're as you're leaving the song behind. It leaves you with something memorable. I must be honest. When we were, like I said before, I I didn't remember this song, but once I started listening to it uh, in preparation for this episode, it really got stuck in my head. It's a bit of an earworm. And and um, I was not expecting this to be in your one of. I have to be honest, it's, but I just like I was I was this, this is incredibly lame. But I was doing the washing up yesterday, and I was kind of humming it under my breath. And it was like, oh my god, it's that song. It's stuck in my damn head again. But again, that's you know that's that's a skill. It's not a complicated song, but it's still kind of it got kind of stuck in there. I I, I couldn't get it out, and and that says something as well. I think. I think yeah, it, it's also one of those songs though that that I think passes the the ironic cover test in a sense that I can't imagine it being slowed down with, with just a little tinkly piano and, and set for a, a Lloyd's bank advert. Nor can I imagine the, um, the Mike Flowers pops having a go at it in the, uh, in the mid nineties as well. Cause I, I think it's one of those that, that just kind of works as a rocker. If you were to sort of turn it any other way, it would just fall apart. It needs to be sung um, at that kind of, of tempo. And I suppose then the other thing that, you know, um, intrigues me about this is is the the thought that this was originally written for Ringo to sing, and I can't imagine him singing this at all. No, this isn't a song that really stands out as a Ringo song. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought that either. No, but um, you know, so one of the things that apparently Paul said about it was uh, or about Ringo, he didn't have a large vocal range, um, so you know it, he could really sing them with some gusto if they were nice and simple. But it had to be something he could get behind. If you know, if if he couldn't picture himself singing it, then you know he he wouldn't sing it. And apparently, he passed on this. He just couldn't get it at all. And yeah, it, it it's just not quite. It just doesn't feel like a like a Ringo song. It doesn't feel like it has that that sort of same um, joie de vivre as, as say Boys, for example. Um, you know, or indeed, I suppose I want to be your man, which we're going to have to talk about um, at some point, um, where, which is a little bit more, let say, optimistic, perhaps, than this. This is, is distinctly Lennon uh, in some ways, as, as you were noting when, when sort of mentioned the, um, um, you know, 
uh, picking specific parts out of the lyrics as well. And that perhaps Lennon's voice then doesn't transcribe quite so well in other people as McCartney's upbeat, G-happy, isn't everything lovely sort of uh, uh, sort of take. Well, and also McCartney's just, just very good at writing songs for other people, whereas Lennon is very good at writing songs for Lennon. I, and I don't, I don't really mean that as a criticism, you know, uh, but that's, that's, you know, like that's one of McCartney's skills is that he has this ability to write in any style that he wants. But that doesn't just mean in terms of uh, sort of genre pastiche, he can also find uh, a way of writing for a specific artist. And if that particular artist happens to be Ringo, then okay, well, you know, fair enough. He's able to um, write songs which which caters to, you know, the requirements that, that a Ringo song would have. Whereas Lennon just kind of writes what Lennon writes. And if you can sing it, that's fine. And if you can't, you can't. And so, yeah, I like this lyric feels very Lennon-esque to me. And I can imagine that that's just not something that would trans- transcribe itself particularly well to, to Ringo. Again, if you've listened to enough of these, you'll know that I'm not the, the biggest fan of Lennon's voice. But actually, this is a really good performance. And, and I think it's a really good yeah. performance because he can buy into the idea of what he's singing. Um, and I, I'm not too worried about the the little child and, and the baby stuff. You know, it's it's just a it's just an expression you know there's 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 nothing behind that but he manages to 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 give it some meaning which i think is uh, uh something that that ringo wouldn't have been able to do he sounds like he means it which is which is not something which is always the case with with lennon but he just sounds like he's got a bit of energy to him he wants to give a good performance on this song for for whatever reason um Again, that's not necessarily true of every song we'll be covering on on this album, but this he's got, <laughs> he's got a bit of uh, he's got a bit of life to him in this one. This that there's a bit of sparkle here. I think again that that energy also is one of the things that makes it feel like it would be uh, a good live number. Is that uh, Lennon is doing his kind of live vocal performance? He's not doing a studio voice, if you know what I mean. He's singing this like he was on stage. Um, he's not being careful about it. He's not being crafted about it. When we get up to talk about the next song on the album, all we will talk about is, is studio voice and, and crafting, even though it's McCartney, not Lennon. Um, but for this song, yeah, he's just, he's giving it his kind of proper full-throated sort of live performance. And that again, it, it gives it the song, the song that extra thing it needs. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's there's a, there's a quote from uh, McCartney, um, which, which, it seems to contradict that, but I think it sort of fits in what we were saying a moment ago, um, where he was saying that um, in terms of writing, um, he was saying certain songs were inspirational and you just followed that. Certain other songs were, right, come on, two hours, song for Ringo for the album. Well, if this was, quote unquote, the song for Ringo for the album, the fact that Lennon put in the performance he does it is all the more impressive yeah well it's the spontaneity of it you know i think that's i think that's the thing you can hear it's a it's rough around the edges but that's because it's being done pretty spontaneously you know what was it like a dozen takes of this song and then that that's it done and dusted it, that's not a lot of time there's not a lot of time between its writing and its recording either and that spontaneity is what really helps to to give it the energy that it has and if this was just a quick knockoff then it's it's a beneficiary to the fact that they didn't spend a long time pondering on it that's that's what's making it work and that, that McCartney quote of course then you know sort of takes us back to previous discussions about the nature of albums at the time and actually the the idea that that what is a successful album is starting to change with the Beatles and that, that when we get on to talk about 
the album as a whole and the charts, you'll start to see more bands in there as opposed to, you know, kind of like the old fashioned singers and, and the musicals. But it's still that sense of, right, album, formula, filler, let's let's get it done. Let's let's build up some more songs in there um really quickly just to get it done. And there wasn't perhaps that sense of 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 craft about everything, but there was that sense of of business. And this is business. And it is then also interesting that of course what Lennon McCartney are trying to do at this time, with encouragement from Epstein, is to write songs that other people can then sing. You know, you've you've got the whole sort of, you know, um, you know, Tim Pan Alley and Brill building history of people churning out songs successfully for other people to sing. And of course, you know, we've seen on, on the first album that they've used uh, songs by, you know, the likes of, of, of Carol King. You know, so we, we know that, that they're aware of that as it exists, but then trying to become both the successful recording artist and also the successful songwriting duo for other people is a really good way of, of trying to hedge your bets, really, isn't it? So, well, if, if this stops, and remember, they thought it would stop, then they've got this other thing that they can go on and they can do as well. Absolutely. And that that um, that's really, I think, the key point. What you've mentioned there is that it would stop. There was literally no history of, of performers who had, had careers which went on for more than a few years. Even Elvis isn't into double figures at this point. You know, you're talking about a six or seven year career. Um, so, you know, it, it, yeah, there's, there's, there's no expectation that this is something which will last. And there are interviews with McCartney in 63, 64, where he says, yeah, of course, this isn't going to last forever. We'll end up doing the Tim Pan Alley thing. And, you know, that's that's fine. That was your logical career progression within music. You got as much out of the kind of the, the teeny bopper market as you could, whether that was money or exposure or whatever. And then you went on and you became, you know, a, a traditional songwriter. And whether that was, a, I mean, McCartney, obviously, you would think, oh, well, a balladeer. He would, write, you know, this be the sort of person that had the band only lasted a couple of years. He would probably go on and write songs for... Frank Sinatra or for, you know, Dean Martin. And even their careers are not that long in the tooth at this point. That's that's the other thing. When was when was in the wee small hours? 56 or something like that? In the wee small hours of the morning? So you're not talking about a big uh, a big range of time here. So, yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. And, and, you know, the ability to just turn up, knock out a song, bugger off again, that was, a, a, you know, a key component to being able to turn out um, to be able to turn this into that kind of career. It wasn't something which was um, necessarily built to last. It was just meant to generate material. And of course, we'll go on and, and we will talk, as, as I've already said, uh, I Want to Be Your Man will we'll come up in that category um, in later weeks. But of course, Brian Epstein being the, you know, who knew genius that he was, of course, was also trying to get the Beatles to write songs for his other artists. And I suppose, actually, I think George Martin produced Cilla Black, didn't he, as well? So there, there's yeah, that yeah, overlap yeah. there. There's, there. It's almost like this self-serving, um, you know, little cabal where they're, they're trying to get um, their own friends, their own artists into the charts and have success. And, of course, that's going to be good for George Martin. It's going to be good for Brian Epstein. It's going to be good for them because they've got the songwriting credit as well. Uh, and, and good for Dick James because of the publishing deal. You know, there's lots of um, vested interests out there. And I know that, that you know, George Martin didn't put as much time into recording Cilla Black as he did into the Beatles. But then why would you when 
it's all about the voice there, whereas it's all about you know the whole package with the Beatles. Um, and it's quite interesting to think as well, you know, you sort of look down some of the songs that they wrote for other people, and I would imagine that most of them, particularly in that 63, 64 period, most of them have just kind of died completely. And I can't imagine really, I, I can't picture many of these as well. I mean, From a Window, Billy J. Kramer in the Dakotas? Mm, no. Nope. Maybe Nothing. maybe Step Inside Love, Cilla Black. I think I Yeah, I know Step Inside Love, yeah. Um Peter and Gordon. I think this I think this I think there's a demo of McCartney recording Step Inside Love. I think that's a little bit later, isn't it? It's not about sixty five or something. It is sixty eight. But a bit later, yeah. Um maybe it's one of the white album offcuts or something. But yeah, I've I've heard I've heard McCartney sing that song as well as the Silver Black version. it's just kind of odd, you know. Um I'm in love, nineteen sixty three. The foremost. <laughs> nope, nothing. Like dreamers do, the Applejacks, which the uh, um, I have heard of them, but the only reason I've heard of them is because of the uh, Mark Lucian book. That's the only reason I've heard of the Applejacks. Well, they were the first Brumbeat group to reach the top ten of the UK singles chart, and were unusual for having a female bass guitarist. Yes, and if you've never heard the term uh, 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 Brumbeat before, there's a reason for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just one it's letter. Not a thing. Um, but. Yeah, I, I don't know whether or not that was a big hit. Beatles version, I'd well, say, okay, here's a bit of a giveaway. When it comes to the Beatles version, um, it was on the Decca tapes. Um, so, of course, it, it it will have Pete Best on. Oh, okay. So, yeah. But a lot of, the, the it also becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy after a certain period of time as well, because if you see the name Lennon-McCartney as songwriters on a track, which is not recorded by them... People are going to go out and buy it because by this stage, well, yeah, pretty much even by this stage, they're certainly the biggest band in the UK and they're, you know, very, very close to being the biggest band in the world. You know, it won't, won't take more than another 12 months for that to be the case. So, yeah, if, if people see that name on the record label, they're, they're going to go out and buy it, whether it's necessarily by an artist that they would purchase or or not. But then after 63, well, I suppose apart from the, the Silla Black one, were there, there really that many that, that were particularly successful. I mean, you know, there's the bad finger one. Um, you know, come and get it. And and I only know no. the, the the chorus to that. I, I have no idea what the verse sounds like. Um, you know, it's, it, it, I, I don't know. Well, Mary Hopkin, those were the days. I mean, I know she was also signed to Apple, but that was that was a huge huge hit. Did McCartney write that? Yeah, yeah McCartney wrote that. Oh, okay, there you go. Learn something new today, um, he said, desperately trying to search for... <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll edit right this bit, don't worry. Yeah, that's oh, fine. No. I don't think he did. Sorry, that sounded a bit too... Uh... <laughs> I'll definitely edit right that. Um, I'm pretty sure he did. Those were the days. I'm sure McCartney wrote that for Mary Hopkin. Two people searching the internet at the same time. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, this could go terribly wrong, yeah. See, it's certainly... Oh. Uh, it was produced by him. Ah, oh, damn it. There you go. Close but no banana. Boris Foreman and Gene Raskin. Okay. Fair enough, fair enough. I hold my hands up and admit my error. So, uh, song credited to Gene Raskin, who put a new English lyric to the Russian romance song composed by Boris Foreman 
1900 to 1948, um, etc. Et anyway, um, it deals with reminiscence upon youth and romantic idealism. It also deals with tavern activities, which include drinking, singing and dancing. Tavern activities. There's a, a subgenre of which I was not previously aware. Um, there you go. Anyway, I mean, it's a little bit like... Um, um, go, go, go. What was that other one that McCartney did have a few very successful singles that he produced? Um, did he not produce the Urban Spaceman? Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, for a Bonzo Dog Dido band. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's a few bits like that that he he got involved in without necessarily doing the um, uh, the writing. But um, yeah. Anyway, rabbit holes. We could go down rabbit holes. But the songs of Lennon and McCartney, um, and it's worth pointing out, dear listener, um, because I think you will be interested in this that the um, in appallingly named and very inaccurate name songfacts.com um, has a, a section called Songs Written by Lennon and or McCartney for Other Artists. Um, you know, and, and I love the thought of Lennon and McCartney sitting down and churning out all day for Kanye West. Uh, maybe Champagne Poetry for Drake, but uh, there you go. And you know, certainly Veronica. It's a light Veronica was not written for Elvis Costello. It was written. <laughs> no, it definitely was Elvis Costello. <laughs> but there you go. Have you heard of "The Light Comes from Within" by a a young up and coming artist called Linda McCartney? Um, I believe Linda McCartney is a popular beat combo. I can't say that it's <laughs> one that I'm particularly aware of. <laughs> Album "Wild Prairie" in 1998. Um, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, well, she died in 88, and later that year, um, her widower, the multi-talented Paul McCartney, released a posthumous album, Wild Prairie. The Light Comes From Within is the sixth track and the last song she ever recorded. There you go. I, I haven't listened to that album, and so I haven't got anything to say about it. Although that didn't stop us from talking about Across the Universe when we, neither of us had seen that either. But uh, no, I can't, say, I can't say that's one that I've heard. No, no, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's perfectly fine. And the best way of making sure that, that that is a true statement is by not listening to it. That that certainly seems like good advice. Good advice all round. Yeah. So, yeah, it, 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 it's sort of interesting the way in which they, they were writing, almost, you know, admitting they're writing in a formulaic uh, fashion. Um, and you know what? There's, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. It's it's a sign of maturity. It's a it's also a sign that, of course, that these are quite savvy young men um, who are turned on to the um, the fact that this is a job. It's something they love doing, but it's a job. Yeah, yeah. It was their career, and and a song like Little Child is 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 turning up on a Tuesday morning and just you know working your way through your emails. That's that's pretty much what it is. And that sounds like a summary. <laughs> well, if that's going to be a summary, then I guess that means we should probably move towards giving this song some kind of ranking. So uh, what's your score for this one then? Well, um, I, I've always got to sort of go back and have a look at what I've, I've given things before. And um, I've got things like Ask Me Why and Baby It's You as sixes. Um, There's a place. Do you want to know a secret? And Chains as a five it sort of fits into those camp both those camps but neither particularly comfortably and and i've already set myself the the rather dogmatic approach of not doing um you know point fives or indeed for that matter point seven fives or point two fives so i have to go with a whole number 
And I think on the whole, I like it enough to give it a six. Oh, I made that a sound like a sporting six. event. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, I think we might be in agreement this week. I think I'm going to give it a six as well. It's I can't. I definitely can't give it any more than a six. Uh, I can't give it a, a decimal point. Um, it's not. Uh, you know, it is. It is a work song. I, I. It's. It doesn't deserve more than that. But it's still. You know, what else have I given a six to? It won't be long. Thank you, girl. Taste of honey. Uh, Anna, go to him. Yeah, that sounds about right. I'm giving it a six. Okay. Um. Rare agreement, I feel. Yes, yes. It's a, <laughs> not not common, but uh, I think in this particular case, we are as one. And on that note, I think we can probably leave things there on that bombshell agreement. So, uh, you can contact us, if you so wish, uh, by email. We are Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, at Beatles underscore ology. And you can find more of my writing about TV, movies, music, and a whole bunch of other stuff at www.jgmacquarie.scot. Please like, rate, and review us on whatever podcast you're using so that more people can find the show. Next week, we leave behind the world of work songs and we come to one of the absolute classics of the early years. So we are going to be covering Till There Was You. But will we actually decide that it deserves the reputation that it has? Well, there's only one way to find out. You're just going to have to tune in. So until then, keep listening.